screwed up and get your sword out. He's not saying be brave in a Daniel in the lion's den sort of way where you crawl into a hole and you wait for something to bite you or just wait for God to deliver you. He's not being telling us to be brave in that sort of way. He is telling us to be brave, to stand firm in the face of our daily, weekly challenges, the things that come up against us every day. Stand firm in your daily challenges. I don't know how many of you have ever felt this way, but sometimes to me, it feels like in life, I'm trying to make forward progress. I'm trying to step forward, but there's like these weights on my legs. You know those training weights that are supposed to make you really strong when you run with weights on your legs? But these ones are like attached to something on the ground. It seems like no matter what I do, I just can't move forward. All I can do is stand in the last place that Jesus told me to stand. I know some of you are in that place today. All you feel like you can do this morning is stand in the last place that Jesus told you to stand. And I want you to hear this. You have the strength to stand. By the power of the Holy Spirit, stand where Jesus last told you to stand. Sometimes just standing is a sign of strength. It shows that you are stronger than you think you are. It shows you are stronger than Satan wants you to believe. Because you stand in the strength that the Lord has given you, not in your own strength. And now Paul goes on to tell us how to stand. He says, be anxious for nothing. We read this last week. Speak peace to your heart and your mind. Speak praise to the Lord. And he says this, when you do this, when you're anxious for nothing and you praise the Lord, the peace of God that passes all understanding will be yours in Christ Jesus. That is so awesome. Now I want to read these next verses, 8 and 9 says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch that little reversal? Did you catch that? He says in verse 7, that the peace of God will guard your hearts. But then in verse 9, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, we don't just have the peace of God in our lives. We have access to the God of peace who lives and walks and reigns in our lives and walks alongside of us. This is what is ours in Christ Jesus. So stand firm. Brave the waves. Father, I thank you this honor and this chance to worship you. I thank you that we don't just have your peace, but we have the God of peace living with us. Not just, not just a resource of yours, but your very presence and all of your resources with it. We don't take it for granted, God. We thank you for this opportunity to gather to receive your peace, but also to be in your presence. I pray that the words that I bring this morning together with this family of faith, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, that we would receive this morning exactly what we need from you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Can we just sing this last, this last line again, that you make me brave? And I'm going to ask Emma to do this. Would you please? No? Okay. You can say no. Uh, you can say no. You can say no. I just wanted to say, because her voice, it takes a lot of bravery to do what she's doing that bravery calls something out of me. And so I'm sorry that I asked you the last second. I'm really sorry. And I'll sing it with us. You make me brave.
call me out beyond the shore into the waves. You make me brave. You make me brave. No fear can hinder now the love that made you way. Jesus, we thank you for your courage. We thank you for your bravery. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It's hard being a human being sometimes. So here in Philippians 4, the passage I just read to you, Paul gives us one of his super famous lists. I don't know about you, but I have often, when reading the words of Paul, imagined his house to be like one giant refrigerator with magnets all over the place and lists all over every wall. He's got like his grocery list, he's got his Christmas list, his early Christmas list, his, you know, three years from now Christmas list. He's got, he's got his qualifications for leaders in ministry, and then he's got this list that he has given us this list that he is saying to stand firm, to be anxious for no thing, but instead think about this list, list. He's like writing it down. And I think I could just almost imagine Paul as he's going throughout his day, he's like writing it down. These are things I should think about. These are things that we should think about. And when Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is righteous, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, and he says, think on these things, what Paul is saying in the Greek is to make a habit of thought. Not just, you know, sometimes think about them or think about them when you feel like thinking about them, but make this your habit. Make your habit of thought to be about this list. And it's not saying that it's a complete list. He's not saying only think about these things, that this is all that you have to think about. But these are some of the things that you should think about. Tuta loganizimia. Loganizimia. Try saying that out. Make a habit of thought. Be anxious for no thing. Be anxious for no thing, but be absolutely obsessed with this list of things. Because, you need to know this, you cannot live a courageous life without a focused mind. You can't live a courageous life. You can't be brave without a focused mind. Last week we saw how an anxious heart can actually rob you of your peace. That we can start thinking in anxiety. And, you know, we, we talked about how the disciples were on the boat and there was a storm outside. But it wasn't the storm outside that sank them. It was the storm inside their own minds. Because they were looking and they're saying, you know, from an earthly perspective, from the perspective of a fisherman who has been on this water a lot of times, this boat is going to sink. And my friend Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping. Something I didn't say last week that I wanted to give you. This is just a little thing. It, it's just a game of follow the leader, ladies and gentlemen. When it comes to following Jesus... Just look at what your leader is doing. Whatever Jesus is doing, just mimic that. So these guys are in the boat, and it's looking like it's going to sink, and he is in the back of the boat. And in their minds, they say, hey, look, this sucker's going down. Let's wake up Jesus so we can at least give him a life preserver. But in the back of the boat, if they had looked, if they had paid attention, they would have seen that he was worried about nothing. He was anxious for nothing. And it was the storm inside of them that brought them down. So we learned that anxiety robs us of our peace. 
But the mind that is not focused on God will always succumb to the fury of the storm around us. Always succumb to it. Fear and faith. We have these two words, and we often put them together as opposites. Correct? Fear on one side, faith on the other. They seem to come into conflict. But they actually have a lot to do with one another. As I've said all through this series so far, that you can't be brave without an object of fear. You can't be brave if there's not something to be afraid of. You can't be faithful without having fear as well. And fear and faith have a lot to do with one another, especially in that fear and faith are both powered by focus. They're both powered by what we think about, what we focus on. We're driven toward fear or faith by what we pay attention to, what we look at, what we focus on. If your life is filled with fear or anxiety, if you're uncertain about what tomorrow brings and that concerns you more than it should to the point where it debilitates you, I can guarantee you that your mind is focused on the wrong things. And I can only say that because I am an expert at focusing on the wrong things. I am so good at focusing on the wrong things that I have to have people in my life that are like my wife who say, is that really what you should be thinking about? Is that really the direction that you should let your mind go? Is that really the truth? Paul is spitballing here, okay? He's just spitballing. He's just shouting out things. Listen off things that we can think about, things that we can be focused on in the Lord to be empowered in our faith. It's not a complete list. It's just some of the many things that we can think about. But many of us, included me, we get ourselves into trouble by thinking about what we can't think about, what we shouldn't think about, what we can't have, what we can't do, what isn't happening the direction that things are not going. It's just like Adam and Eve in the garden. God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the whole garden. And what do they think about? What do they do? Ooh. But God says, you can have any tree in the garden but this one. And what do they want? The one, right? Again, it's the big red button, right? Don't push the big red button, and we all want to push it. There it is, the big red button. We have to get that thing up there every now and then. That's what we do. It's human nature. There are many things that we can have, many things that we can think about, but we focus directly on the things that we cannot have. How many dieters do we have here today? Dieters, come on, raise up your hands. Chris is like, I am not admitting to it. There's a few dieters. Have any, any chronic dieters? Any, it's January 3rd, I was, or January what 22nd, I was a dieter two weeks ago, anybody? Yeah, okay, not very many dieters, awesome. That fell totally flat. Because you guys were all supposed to be, yeah, I'm a dieter. Like, anybody just want to pretend that they're dieters for the sake of my illustration? Thanks, Doug. All right, thank you, guys. You guys are a big help. I thought there was going to be a lot of dieters in the house, because culturally there is. You guys are all weird. Yeah, was that a fat joke? It's my son. My son says, is that a fat joke? (laughs) Oh, he's on a sugar diet, and he's only eating sugar. Excellent. So I I don't like dieting. I've never much been into dieting at all. In fact, I really hate dieting because I am the sort of guy that I want my diet to be like Isaac's diet, that I want to eat whatever I want, as much as I want, however late I want. How many people like that diet? Yeah? That's the diet that we all should want to be on. Then I started one day reacting to some of the things I was eating. Then I started reacting to that nasty gluten. And I suddenly found myself amongst the select group of mysterious people who are on a permanent diet due to extreme discomfort in the intestinal regions because of gluten, right? And I had to 
diet all of a sudden. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm on a different diet. And immediately what I did is I started focusing on and thinking about all the things I couldn't have. So here's a list for you, the things that I could not have. Cookies, pancakes, waffles, chocolate cake, chocolate cake with chocolate frosting, chocolate cake with chocolate frosting, and chocolate shavings. Mm-hmm. Gravy, biscuits, biscuits and gravy together at last. Flour tortillas and their wonderful, awesome brother, the Mighty Burrito. Pizza crust, scones, and worst of all, cinnamon rolls. <sighs> Groan. These are a few of my favorite things. Friends would drop by with cookies to our house and my kids would sit there eating them, looking at me with this silly grin on their face and I'm going to be like, do you want to live? Put the cookies away. I think this diet is going to be impossible. How am I going to live? This isn't living. If I can't have cinnamon rolls, this is not living. This isn't living at all. The thought of traveling caused me anxiety because what am I going to eat? I can't eat all the things. I can't do it. There's just like all the things that I can't eat. But one day something changed. One day something changed. I found out that food without gluten is not just sawdust and a mysterious amalgam of powders with the weight of an atomic bomb, or not an atomic bomb, the weight of a black hole, right? That's how dense some of this stuff is. Most of it is actually really good. I started seeing that there was tons of things that I could eat in almost limitless quantities. Good for me. I've discovered that those corn tortillas, those delicious little corn tortillas that they make in Mexico, completely gluten-free. And guess what? Their brother, the taco, can eat those as much as I want. Love them. I can have eggs. They're still gluten-free. I can make pan- or I can make omelets, frittatas, and more. Pad thai, pho, penang curry. They're all gluten-free, the things that I love. And then my glorious wife figured out how to make a pancake that tastes so delicious you would never know it's gluten-free and then a cookie, and then a muffin. And then a few people at church started exploring, and anybody have the muffins out there this morning? Those suckers are gluten-free. You wouldn't know it, but they're delicious, right? There's so many good things that I can have in almost limitless quantities and not get sick, at least from gluten, right? If I ate those muffins all morning, I might not feel so great. This is what Paul is getting at here. This is what he's getting at. There are things that you can focus on that will cause you pain, that will cause you fear, and cause you anxiety. But here are just some of the things that you can focus on as much as you want, as often as you want, as late as you want, and you will be fear, free from fear, anxiety, and pain because of them. This is what he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. It sounds like my wife. I get to think about her an awful lot. That's awesome. But it also sounds a lot like Jesus, Right? Being a little leaguer is difficult. At least it was for me. I, some other people don't struggle with it, but I really struggled in little league. It was really tough. Early on in my little league career, which I retired from at the age of 10, um, they taught me this really important rule. And you know what? This is a really transferable rule for like pretty much any sport. They said to me, look, Jamie, all you have to do to hit the baseball is keep your eye on the ball. Say it with me. Keep your eye on the ball. You are now all certified to be Little League Baseball coaches. And we need some. So go down to the Parks and Recs and sign up today. We need soccer coaches and basketball coaches. Keep your eye on the ball. That's all you need to know to teach a seven-year-old how to play soccer. Right? It works with every sport. So good for you. Keep your eye on the ball. Paul is writing to the Philippian church. 
that is struggling, they're struggling with persecution, they're struggling with personal, daily, normal challenges in their relationships and in their friendships and in their businesses. They're struggling with philosophical differences. They're struggling with theology. And he says to them, keep your eye on the ball. Except he doesn't use those words. He makes it spiritual. And maybe a way of saying it spiritually, and he says this later on, is keep your eyes on Jesus. This is the secret to building your faith in the midst of the storm. When the waves are raging, when life is hard, when you are facing fear, it's really, really simple. Brothers and sisters, stand firm thus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because when you do, you're going to find that in the face of fear, faith rises. Faith rises. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and faith will rise up inside. It's when we let our eyes wander from him that we begin to to waver. When the water that we're walking on, Peter, no longer seems so solid, we begin to sink. When he that is against us seems a lot greater that is in us. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we waver in our faith. And the solution to your lack of faith in the midst of your daily challenges is so simple. Think about, focus on, not just once in a while, not just sometimes, but make a habit of thinking on these things. It's easier said than done, right? It seems like that's the, the crux of this whole series. It's easier said than done. How many of you ever wanted, just wanted to say that to the pastor in the middle of his sermon? He's like, oh, that's a great idea, pastor, but that's easier said than done. I'm the pastor, and I say that all the time to myself. It is easier said than done. But I got to tell you guys, I'm growing in this day by day, week by week. I am growing in it. And I know that when I lack faith for the future, that something inside of me is broken. My focus is broken. I've turned my eyes. I've shifted my eyes from the things that I should be looking at to the things that I can't. My faith rises, however, when I concentrate on the goodness of God. I want to take you, and I want you to hold that thought for a second. In Philippians, Paul is talking about standing fast, focusing on Jesus. But in Corinthians, which I want you to turn to, 2 Corinthians, it's just a few pages back in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us that we have divine weapons that have the power to destroy every argument, every pretension, every thought, every fear, every anxiety that is raised up above God. Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. I have it in pink in my Bible today. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Often the Bible likes to talk about the flesh in a real negative sense, right? Battle against the flesh. The flesh rises up in me. I have a thorn in my flesh. With all these, my, I'm, not, I'm thinking with a fleshly mind and not with a spiritual mind. But here Paul is actually telling us that flesh is absolutely normal. What I'd like you to do is turn to your neighbor and pinch them. Just go ahead, lightly. Don't hurt anybody. How many of you felt that? Anybody feel that? This was a design to wake. This is the wake up moment in my sermon. I knew that some of you would be asleep by now. So you're awake. If you felt that pinch, guess what? You are in the flesh. Welcome to earth, ladies and gentlemen. You are walking in the flesh. But what goes on up here in our minds, 
is not just a flesh fight, right? We can fight in the flesh, but what goes on in our brains, what goes on in our hearts, what goes on with the fear and the anxiety and the stress of our lives is not just a flesh fight, it's a spiritual fight. Because everything that is fleshly and everything that is in this world is spiritual. And everything that is spiritual is also in the flesh somehow. We're not divided. The things that raise up in their mind, what Paul calls these lofty opinions. In other words, it's any thought or idea that comes into our heads, it raises itself above the thoughts of God. He says that these lofty opinions, any thought that elevates itself above Christ or Christ's thoughts, they are actively entrenching themselves within our minds and in our hearts. And they're not just random thoughts, but they're thoughts that plague us, that have been built up battlements, they've built up castles, they've built up walls, they've dug trenches. They're thoughts that have entrenched themselves in the neural pathways of our mind. I mean, this is literally how our brain works. It's crazy when I hear Paul saying something 2,000 years ago that brain science is, is, is showing us today, that our brains actually build roadways in our mind that thoughts can just travel down easier and easier and easier. So when you think that I am fat or ugly, not me personally, I know that everybody doesn't think that about me, but if it's you, you think I'm fat and ugly, you think it once, the second time it's a little bit easier, and the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time, and it becomes a highway right to that thought. And Paul says that this is not just physical, but it's spiritual, because it's raising itself up against God's thoughts of you. Paul says that we have weapons that can fight these lofty thoughts. We live in the flesh. We all pinched each other. We're all alive. We're all awake. We live in the flesh. But guess what? We don't have to walk according to the flesh, it says. We don't have to live according to the flesh. We don't have to live according to these thoughts and ideas that are thrown at us. And we can fight it, but not according to the flesh again. There are weapons that we can't see. They fight things that we can't see. We're not talking about pea shooters either. Paul says that these are demolition weapons. He says they are used to demolish the enemy's strongholds. He's talking about explosives here. You know, I always thought it would be cool to be that guy. I talked about like adventure movies and stories. I love that. You know, the demolitions expert. You've got the, the team together and you've got the one guy who's the sharpshooter and you've got the one guy who's the leader. He doesn't do anything but lead. And then, and then you've got the guy who, who blows things up, right? I always thought that'd be the cool guy to be. You know, it'd be like, bagels, the door's closed blow it okay and put the blow it up or the, the bridge has got to come down it's a supply line for the enemy he's bringing his stuff in go in there and blow it paul says we have explosives to blow up these things divine explosives that lay waste to every thought thoughts that place themselves above the thoughts of christ now there are weapons of the flesh right we have tons of weapons in the flesh and we're not just talking about guns and things like that we have psychology we have positive thinking. Just be positive. We've heard that. We have self-help books. Listen to Dr. Phil. Some people even say, hey, go to church. It'll make you a better person. But as important as these things are and as valuable as these things are in their places, they do not attack the spiritual things in our hearts. Quickly now, I want to give you some spiritual demolition charges that you can start sticking on the door frames and the bridge supports of the strongholds of your life. The thoughts that raise themselves up against the thoughts of Christ. And now, you know what? I read this passage and I think, well, what are they? He says, you have these weapons that have the power to destroy strongholds. 
But what are they? You don't, you don't say what they are. But he does. He actually does. He says this in verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. First of all, take every thought captive. Paul tells us to take every thought captive to obey Christ. That means when we hear a thought, we reach up, we grab it like a bug, and we pull it in, and we look at it, and we think, does this match that list that Paul was talking about back in Philippians? Is this thought about me honorable? Is this thought about me righteous? Is this thought about me just? Or, it comes in over here, and you look at it, is, it, is this thought about my roommate kind? Is this thought about my roommate just? Is this thought about my next-door neighbor holy? Is this thought about the barista in line what God would think? We, we look at it, and we ask, is this matching up to the list? We grab it like a bug, we look at it, we match it to the list, and we say, if this isn't true, what's my evidence to believe that it's true? Why do I feel like this is true? What's making me say this? We capture it and we measure it. So often God tells us to do things. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the Lord will put something on your heart. You need to speak to somebody. You need to pray for somebody. You need to go on a mission trip to Portland. You need to, to do whatever. And then every thought and every reason for why not comes into our minds. You ever experienced that? You get the long list of why nots, right? You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. These arguments start setting themselves up above the arguments of Christ. And we have the power to destroy them. But the thing is, that those arguments often come with facts. It's dangerous. You don't have the finances. You've never done this before. Can I tell you something, friends? Just because something is a fact doesn't mean that it's true. That's what the internet wants you to believe, right? If it's on the internet, it must be true. It's a fact. It says right there. We can have a fact checker. Everybody's got a fact checker nowadays. We'll check facts. It's a fact. This is what they said. Just because it's a fact doesn't mean that it's true. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have a truth that is higher than the facts. That is stronger than the facts. Though it was a fact that Jesus was dead, the truth is, he rose up from the grave. Let's say that again. Some people are like, wait a minute. It was a fact that Jesus died. But Jesus rose from the grave. It's a fact that it's dangerous. It's a fact that it's dangerous to go to a foreign country and share the gospel. It's a fact that it's dangerous to go and live on the streets of Portland. But guess what? God is on our side. So who can be against us? It's a fact that you don't have the finances to do whatever it is that God's calling you to do. It's a fact. Just look at your bank records. It's a fact. But guess what? The price of beef is up. And the Bible says that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. It's a fact. You've never done it before. You don't know what you're doing. You've got no clue how to do what you were called to do. But guess what? If God has called you, he will equip you. We measure the facts against God's word and his promises to us. We can't always control the thoughts that we have, but we can control the thoughts that we hold. Say that again. We can't control the thoughts that we have. 
we can't control those things that come into our brain that tell us one thing or another, that we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, that we don't have the finances, that it's too dangerous. We can't control those things. But we can choose what to hold on to. We blow up these lofty opinions. You don't have the money. You don't have the resources. You don't have the power. Facts. We blow them up by challenging them with the thoughts of God. Some thoughts come from God and some thoughts actually come from the enemy. We need to learn how to hold the thoughts that are true, that are noble, that are excellent. God is continually encouraging us, but we get so discouraged because we haven't learned to hold on to God's thoughts. We haven't learned to grab hold of it and just hang on to it for dear life. Secondly, interrogate your fears. The Greek, where Paul says, take captive to obey Christ, if you were to literally translate that out from the Greek, it would say this, to cause whatever or whoever is causing evil to cease and desist from his purpose by restraining him and forcing him to submit to Christ. It's a wrestling match that he's talking about. It's almost, and then you almost hear like the police officer involved in here, right? The cease and desist. He's like, you grab this thing as he's running away by the back of the, the, the scruff of the neck, you pull him to the ground, you wrench his arm, you put your knee in his back, and you force that thing to obey Christ. How about that for a mental image, right? I've come to believe that some thoughts are actually ordered by Satan to come and to terrorize your faith. Let me rephrase that. I've come to learn and to think that Satan actually orders some thoughts to come into my life, to my life, in order to terrorize my faith, to tell me what's possible and what's impossible. It's kind of like I'm sitting there and I'm just minding my own business, I'm writing something, and the doorbell of my mind rings, and I think, oh, pizza delivery, right? And boom, land shark, he comes in, and it's this thought that's specifically tailored. It's like, it's so very perfect for just me. If that same thought came to Audrey, he'd look at it and go, that's nuts. If it came to Jandy, she'd be like, that's the craziest thought ever. But it comes to me, and it's wearing the perfect outfit. It's wearing the perfect suit. And it says, I'm here for you, and I'm going to bring you down. We're often told that we just need to let go of these thoughts. We just need to push them away. But guess what? That's not very effective because they are out to get you. They come back. They keep ringing the doorbell of your brain. So what we have to do, Paul says, is to take them captive. Grab hold of them, put your knee into their back, and say, submit. Submit to the thoughts of Christ. And then we can interrogate them. Maybe you guys are caller ID junkies. Caller ID junkies, anybody? That's a person who will not answer the phone unless you know who it is. Anybody like that? I am a caller ID junkie. Somebody's like, I don't want to be a junkie. You know what you're talking about. That's, that's a thought that raises itself above Christ. I won't answer the phone if I don't know who it is. Because it's either Doug or it's a salesman. It's one of the two. I answered the phone for Doug three times this week. So I just have to like... We screen our calls so that we know who we're talking to. But we don't do it with our own thoughts. A thought comes in, we grab it, we take hold of it, we take it captive. Now we can interrogate that sucker and find out where it's coming from. I read a book recently um, from David Benner, and I recommend any of David Benner's writings. They're huge. He says this, that thoughts from the enemy 
when interrogated, can actually give us valuable information when we take them captive and question them. What kind of valuable information can thoughts from the enemy give us? Let me just tell you, Satan sends his thoughts and his thinking into our lives for a purpose, which is to keep us from ours. To keep us from what God has intended us to do and to be and to walk out in this world. When a thought from Satan comes into your life, it's there to steal, kill, or destroy the purpose that God has for your life. If you are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, which we all go through, we all have these moments, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, start taking captive those thoughts and start saying, wait a minute, what are you here to do? What are you trying to do in my life? What are you trying to keep me from? Because when you start asking those questions, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out what it is that God has intended you for. And you're going to be able to stand firm in it in bravery and in courage. I don't know if uh, this is about me or about you or not, if you're like this, but I'm a pretty distractible person. Let's get real and talk about how this really works out in your life. When I was a kid, you know, if I had an eraser on my pencil, I would inevitably take the eraser off and be like, ooh, and the teacher would be like, Jamie, come back, come back to the universe. You know, I would be, I was sitting in the class, and everybody's learning how to, you know, add, which this explains a lot of things. Everybody else is learning how to add, and I'm humming. I'm like, <laughs> and the teacher would be, Jamie, stop humming. I'm like, you can hear that? I thought that was just in my head. You know, I'm really distractible. Heidi has learned that, that that distraction plays out when we go on dates. So if we ever go to South Fork, she strategically, like, will grab me by the shoulders and place me in my seat so that I am not facing a television. Because it doesn't matter what's on the television. I mean, it could be the worst infomercial in the world or the best basketball game. And I'm like this. Because it's moving, you know? It's alive. I'm like, how did it? It's a miracle. And I can't focus on the thing right in front of me. My wife, this is the person I want to spend my life with, right? This is, this is the person that I want to be happy and fulfilled and have this great relationship with. But I, whoop, I'm distracted. Sometimes, I, I actually wrote into my notes here that I actually have the attention span of a squirrel. Um, so it's surprising sometimes that I'm so long-winded as a preacher, isn't it? Um, anyway, sometimes when I'm writing a sermon, <laughs> yeah, sometimes when I'm writing a sermon, distractions will happen. They happen this week. I'm like, I'm trying to sit to write, and then in comes somebody. I'm sitting here trying to write, in comes an email, and it's like this conflict. Or I'm sitting here trying to write, and in comes this thought. These distractions come, and I'm like, I'm trying to, and I'm like, and the next thing I know, I'm, it, these thoughts are coming in, and I'm sitting there, and I'm spinning on these thoughts. That I, what am I doing? Why am I even trying to preach to these people? It doesn't do any good. You hear a bazillion sermons in your life, and how many do you remember? Two, maybe. How many of mine do you remember? More than two? <laughs> Thank you. That was so kind of you. I'm like, and I start asking, I'm like, what is the point in this? What is the point in this? And that's when Jesus actually spoke to me. What I said to you at the beginning is, people need to hear something today. People are there because they need something. But I don't believe it. That's where the distractions, and they start coming in and start trying to cut the legs out from under the effectiveness of the power of the word of God to speak through me to you to hear what he is calling us to. And when I started questioning those thoughts, Guess what I found out? There is power. There's power in God's word to shape and change us. There is something happens in the spiritual world and in the physical world when God's word is spoken to us. 
when we are encouraged in the Lord to stand and be and do what he has called us to do. As Satan is actively trying to hobble my legs so that I fail to be faithful in what I'm meant to do, I learn what I am meant to do. We can interrogate our fears in the same way. What am I so afraid of? What is this thing that is holding me back? If we have the fear that we don't have enough, it might mean that we are being called to radical generosity. If you have a fear of embarrassment, you're afraid to be embarrassed, maybe it means that you have an incredible gift to touch people's lives. If you just stand up and speak, you just stand up. Whatever the thoughts are, are from Satan that are attacking us, they show us where our greatest strengths in the Lord will lie. Paul says in his uh, text in, in Philippians, he says, finally, brothers. You know what finally means to preachers? Absolutely nothing. He is not trying to wrap up his thoughts. He's trying to finish up those particular thoughts. And so finally, today, in Joshua 1, Joshua is about to lead the people of God across the Jordan into the promised land. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Moses says to the people, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. For the Lord goes before you, and he will guide your way. Sounds like a song. Now Joshua, Moses has gone like a sick dog or something off to a mountain somewhere to die. He just leaves. He just disappears from the story, and he passes away. And Joshua stands, and he's ready to lead the people out across. And he says to them, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. But he says something even more. He says, and I didn't put it in my notes. I'm going to have to go off memory here. He says, you shall have the word of the Lord before you day and night, and you will meditate upon it. As he's leading the people out, he's saying, not just to be strong and courageous, you're not just promised victory, but you're to take those promises and to hold on to them, to hold those thoughts to meditate them on, on them day and night. There may be some people here this, this morning who have been held captive by their thoughts. Rather than doing and being the kind of person that Paul's talking about who's got your knee in the back of those thoughts and you're saying you're going to submit to Christ, it's in turn done some crazy judo move on you and grabbed your arm and you're like suddenly you're like, whoa, now you're on the floor with this thought's knee in your back and you're being held captive. Maybe it's depression because of a brain chemistry problem. Maybe it's just depression because of thoughts of the enemy. Maybe your faith is wavering in the face of the bigness of your problems or the challenges you face. And you've been meditating on the misery and not the victory of Jesus. You've been meditating on what happened before, what you face. You, you're meditating on the challenges. You're meditating on the giants rather than meditating on the word of the Lord. This morning, I'd like to invite um, any part of the worship team that wants to come up. We're just going to play some music. Because I just feel like the Lord wants to take a time, because we, we sang this song earlier that uh, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And some of us are like, yeah, you're talking about these things, but I am like literally wrapped up on the floor wrapped in these chains of this thought process and I can't seem to get free of it. And even though you say that there's these powers to take captive these thoughts and to question them and interrogate them, 
And that when we do that, that will destroy it. I can't seem to get past this. You're meditating and stuck in the meditation of the mystery, the, the misery of your circumstances, your situations. What I want to do is I just want to be able to pray for you. And I want others to be able to pray for you. What often happens in the spiritual world is when the Lord sets one person free, they are empowered to free somebody else from these things. And the Lord has been setting me free from the weight of thoughts that destroy the promise of my future in the Lord. So I want to be able to pray for you. And, and I know there are others that are in the same place that want to pray for you. And so we're going to invite you to the front. As uncomfortable and as weird as that is, because we, where else do we do this? Like you don't go to a play and go to the front afterward to be prayed by the actors, right? But we do that here because the Bible calls us to lay hands on one another and to pray for each other. So right now I'm just going to pray and, and ask that the Lord would just open your heart, open your mind, and that if he is prompting you to come and be prayed for, that you would just gather down here. Father, I ask that whatever it is that I've said this morning, maybe that somebody needed to receive, the words that were yours and not mine would begin to glow in the hearts and minds of those that are here. And that our meditation on the things that are holding us back, that we would look at that and say, I need to be free. I need to be free from these thoughts about myself. I need to be free from these thoughts about my future. I need to be free from these thoughts of my capacity and my ability. I need to be free from these thoughts of my finances so that I can walk in the fullness of what God has for me. We would bravely approach your throne and ask for freedom. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Right now, I just want to say, come down. If that's you, let's just come down here and do business with the Lord. Let's come and get free. There's bolt cutters, spiritual bolt cutters down here just ready to break the chains from your life. Would you come? my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. You know my place of lying down and my place of going out. It goes on to say, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, there you are. If I go down to the depths of hell, there you are. If I was to put on wings and fly to the other side of the world, the darkest parts of the world, the farthest side of the sea, even there your hand will find me. Your right hand will uphold me and you will lead me. If I say, surely the day will become as night and the darkness will cover me. The darkness will shine because the night is as light to you, O Lord. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made all of your works not just me God not not just me but every person standing here and every person in this room every work that you have made is wonderful and my soul knows this full well 
praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, your thoughts about me are wonderful. If I was to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. I've been memorizing these words, praying these words, drawing these words, and I am minding finding freedom. I want to invite you, hide God's word in your heart, meditate it on it day and night, maybe Psalm 139, maybe some other. But all of God's promises are ours to hold, to have, if we will hold them. All of God's promises are ours to have if we just holding them. Just hold them. Maybe Psalm 139 is long and daunting for you, but I needed to hold on to these words. I need them in the middle of the night when I wake up anxious. I need them when I'm marinating on the future. Would you just sit this week, meditate on this psalm every day, write it out, put it on in your purse or your wallet, pull it out when you're dwelling on thoughts that aren't true or noble or pure or holy or righteous. Just pull it out and pray it. Psalm 139. Lord, we thank you your word speaks truth to our hearts. It is greater and higher than the lofty thoughts that are brought against us. We pray that we would walk in freedom this week. God, I pray that our hearts would be kind, but that our minds would be fierce, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And above all, I pray that our souls would be brave to step out into God's calling for our lives. Jesus, we thank you for your presence and your power in this place. We pray that as we remain, as we seek you, as we pray, Lord, that you would continue just to speak to our hearts in this place. In the name of Jesus, we all said, amen. We're just going to keep this as a place of prayer for a while. You may still need to feel like you need to do some business with Jesus. But otherwise, go in the grace of our Lord. Amen.